Hey friends, so some really wild things have been going on in the world over the last two years and some of us with a prepping heart have been thinking about it for a long time, but now as the rubber hits the road, we're like, whoa, what do we need to do? And today Drew and I are going to talk about just that, what we have set, what we don't, and where we go from here. I hope that you listen and enjoy and get some inspiration and hopefully some great tools to help you plan and prepare for the unknown as well. Hey friends! Welcome to The Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned. Everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. All right, friends. So as we sit right now in North Carolina, gas is uh, between four nineteen and four twenty a gallon, and uh, that's one cent. Four. Huh? <laughs> four. I think it means four nineteen and four twenty nine, but I think we've seen it even as high yeah, as like four thirty nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and it it seems like it's going to keep going up for a bit. Yeah. So things like diesel and animal feed and things like that are starting to go up. I don't think we've seen the full extent of the animal feed yet. I was talking to a different friend and they were saying, you know, the reality is on the East Coast, most of our animal feed has not been harvested yet and won't be for a while. So we won't see those prices. But you have to think about how those gas prices impact the whole process of raising animals. Right. You know, you've got your tractors on your farms growing your wheat and then, you know, your wheat seed, where does that come from? Are farmers saving their seed? Are they ordering it from somewhere? You know, I mean, there's like layers where oil fits into those equations. And we've tried to eliminate and shop local and buy our grain from a local granary, but it has become, you know, even they're getting hit by these gas prices. Well, I will say that I looked last night at the cost for broiler feed and it has not increased. It's interesting because, you know, I think I've heard there's a push, you know, a part of this is to get people to buy green cars. And, you know, I can see that. I think ultimately the way to stop any kind of climate change, if you're really focused on that, is to get people, and I don't know that the government should be doing this to us, but to change their course, to change the way that they're living, to change the way that they consume. And that is really going to be the biggest impact. And so thinking about local is is going to have a larger impact on how we affect it. It doesn't matter how much solar you replace with regular electric. If you're still sourcing all your goods from, you know, China or even farther parts of the United States or other countries, you still are having this really powerful green energy problem impact you know so it's just something that we really need to think about probably even more and you know we've already been doing that most (laughs) drew and i anyways have been and probably a lot of our listeners have been as well but now it's like the rubber meets the road now it's like okay not only do we need to do that because it's probably the right way to to live it also now is impacting our our wallet in a really yeah seeable way and i think like with our like our feed for instance it's a local feed mill and I believe they grow a lot of their own. I know they don't grow all of it, but they grow a lot of their own things. And I'm kind of curious to see, like, what happens with that food. Like, mm-hmm. will it go up or maybe it, it won't that much? I don't well, know. I know they had they were sourced sesame. They couldn't source last year, right. which was a major component in but he, like, one of his feeds. Yeah, but he, like, reformulated his feed so he didn't need it, which is kind of cool. It I mean, is, yeah, it is kind of cool. But, I mean, watching everybody sort of adjust their seeds. So that that... 
how do we apply that kind of across the board when it comes to homesteading? Do we just plug away and just pay higher prices or do we find new ways of doing things? And we've seen questions pop up in our group where people are like, okay, can I grow all my own chicken feed? And chickens are sort of the hot topic. We've been having this conversation amongst our other homestead friends a lot about where chickens fit in in terms of sustainability. And even years ago, we decided that they probably would be the first to go. And as grain prices go up, we're starting to see that, yeah, you know, it looks like we're going to have to scale back on what we do for our own chickens. And we certainly couldn't raise them now to sell them thinking where the grain is is being projected to be in terms of pricing um, right. without selling it for, you know, double, triple the price that we would otherwise sell it for. So Yeah. And I and I've seen people also asking like, can I grow all the feed, like grains for or chickens? And you might be someone that does and if you are, like hit us up. I'd love to hear how you do it. But mm-hmm. I, my thought is I've always heard the third rule. So a third grain, a third forage and a third black soldier flies. That comes from a guy that does black soldier flies. Mm-hmm. So I think they... Hold on. If you don't we, know what black soldier flies are, they're just a, a really great... They're a maggot. Maggot creature <laughs> <laughs> that you can harness to turn compost into food that you can feed your birds. It's like maybe episode number five or six. I have to look it up mm-hmm. on this podcast. Like years and years ago, we interviewed a guy that does black soldier flies and like made a bin and stuff. Yeah, he's an expert. So go back and listen to that one if you want to hear about black soldier flies. But I think the reality is like you with a chicken, like if you're trying to cut feed that way, like we can cut back our feed and then also accept the fact that we're not going to have, it's kind of the joke for our Mm -hmm. house, like we're not going to have the big breasted, big thighed Mm. chickens. Like, well, it's interesting. That's a luxury. It is a luxury. And we've become accustomed to it. And I think, you know, we actually, our first rounds of chickens, meat birds, were heritage breeds. We tried Jersey Giants and we tried, uh, what was the other one? Uh, There was like a a German one that we did. Yeah, we thought, okay, this is going to be the ticket. They won't need as much feed. They're going to be more heritage. And they were not like what you expect. They story. are very heritage in the fact that like picture, <laughs> a lot of bones. Picture yourself ratio. is like with a pilgrim outfit on cooking the uh, chicken <laughs> in like a pot. Yeah. Like a stock pot outside because that's what you're going to get. You're going to get some yeah. chicken soup out of a heritage chicken. Yeah. And, and you know there's lots of healthy benefits to that. But you really have to put it into perspective of what our standard is versus you know what are we going to get should – we not be able to have access to the conveniences that we have right now, which is buying grain that somebody else grows, right? Right. Yeah. So if we go back to heritage breeds or we go to these dual purpose varieties, you're just you're gonna have to lower your expectations on the chicken that you have, right, for your dinners. Yeah, it's a curious thing because the heritage breeds also sl- grow slower. So, like, I think in an ideal world, you would have more chickens at different stages of life growing slower. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, raising their like if we're doing chickens. Hopefully raising their own, like going broody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So like it's this whole like secession that would just like. Take care of itself. Yeah. And be happening on the homestead, like part of the community dynamics of the homestead, essentially, like where it's just it's going and you're harvesting one chicken a month, maybe like you're not having chicken every night of the week. Well, and it makes me think of Little House on the Prairie. You know, they just had these birds kind of free-ranging around all the time, and we've done that. Wait, Little House on the Prairie, the book or the show? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it takes to conjure up a vision of what chickens roaming around randomly on your homestead looks like. 
Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, and we've had that and I like it. There's something endearing about having some stray chickens just kind of anywhere and everywhere all over the homestead. But what we've found is the frustration of having chickens anywhere and everywhere, particularly in the peak of gardening season. It just wasn't worth it. Uh, also predator control. It can be really difficult to manage predators or to keep your chickens safe if you don't keep them in an electric fence. So we go that route and it would be hard to to just let them free range as much. I mean, we move them regularly, but they'd still not probably have access to enough free range material, um, keeping them all together as a flock that way. I think you would need a different chicken. Like, I think ultimately you need a chicken. Like we have this one chicken named Lucky that's yeah. lucky because it has like survived how old is that chicken? Like three years now? <laughs> older than that. It, and there's another one with it. Yeah. Like, there's two of these random chickens that... They have survived like massacres, like predator massacres. Yeah. And the, or it originally survived one where every other chicken got eaten except for it. I don't think they lay eggs anymore. I don't know. If they do, they're... I mean, they constantly change. If you find where they're laying eggs, then they don't lay there anymore. Yeah, they were <laughs> laying them in the greenhouse we just found. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, they're just... They're unpredictable. They're wild birds. And I don't even honestly know why they stay around. I guess because they know sometimes they can get some extra Yeah, the girls throw them some food here and there. Eliza loves Lucky. She thinks, you know, it's a lucky chicken. I mean, if you come out and you want to rub on Lucky, you're welcome to. (laughs) But back to the point, I think that's more what we're looking for. And I think that, too, if you think about the homestead and maybe, okay, if we're going with Little House on the Prairie, if you go back to the Little House in the Big Woods, they lived in the woods. And did they keep a lot of livestock? No, Pa hunted. And so right now, can we rely on that? No, because our woods are too well-trekked by the feet of men. But I think at some point, ideally, that would be the best case scenario of like, okay, we're just going to go out and get a pheasant or a turkey or whatever. Yeah. And we're just not there anymore, sadly. I mean, even deer can be really difficult to find with so many neighbors who are also hunting hunting. yeah yeah. so yeah i mean i think there's this ecosystem balance that's a little off how can we reestablish that though is to have these birds that are less reliant on us feeding them and more independent and i think you hit on the fact too of changing our expectations of meals Mm. to something that's more nourishing so like a chicken soup where you have one chicken carcass in there that has like simmered all day Mm -hmm. the benefits of the health the like nutrition of that is way higher than frying up a chicken well it may be way higher than i mean you think about how we have these fruits and vegetables that are like falsely ripe right right and they have nowhere near the same nutritional value as these heritage apples that you can find growing in old orchards you know it's just not the same product and it makes me wonder okay well if you measure the nutritional value of a uh, Cornish cross chicken carcass next to a heritage breed freedom ranger. What would that look like? You know, yeah. how, how does that compare? Maybe they're the same or maybe, maybe the freedom ranger is actually better. We just have, it's not as palatable, a palatable to us because of all the modifications and genetic work that people have been doing to plump up those, those birds. Well, and that makes me think also of like the, I was reading this on uh, one of Daniel's posts today about like the the happiness of the animal too. Like Mm. how happy is a chicken, like a chicken that's free ranging on your homestead doing what chickens do and versus a Cornish cross in your chicken tractor. Does that happiness matter when you consume it? Like, Oh, I think for sure, yeah. So there's like this whole other level. Transmittable. Yeah, like eating a happy animal that was happy, you would think would give us happy 
hormones that would ultimately make us happier. Well, it only makes sense. Like, think about Is that how, measurable? Has anybody measured Think that? about how satisfied, or I should say satiated, most Americans are, and yet are they happy? No, they just keep eating more because they have this craving to meet a need that they can't fill. And isn't, I mean, we all, I think, suffer with that from time to time. And is it because our diet is deplete of what actually we need from it? Right. And it maybe isn't measurable as a vitamin or a mineral or something that, you know, the human eye can detect or, or measure. But yeah, I, I think that's a huge, just, it makes so much sense to me. And and I think this is a, piece, a reason we think that raising your meat is so valuable too, because the process of it, first you get a different kind of bird, right? A different experience for the bird or the animal, at large in terms of, you know, the interaction with humans and the outdoors and no cages and all of those things. But then the process of you being the person that butchers them is also different than the experience that most chickens even have, right? And they may be dumb, but getting in a cage and going to the the processing facility on a truck at 65 miles an hour down the highway might be traumatizing. It would be traumatizing for me. It's <laughs> right? traumatizing to see the trucks sure, sometimes. It sure is. Yeah. You can get emotional when you really think about how these animals have been just carted around without any really consideration. And not just for the animals, but also for the people eating those animals and what they they miss by missing these experiences that are hard, but worth it and satisfying in a way that you can't get just by eating somebody else's, you know, farm fed chicken. Okay. So bringing it back to... <laughs> To, we're, we gotta go, Where do we go from here? Right, bringing it back around, I think that the other thing, and you got, you have probably heard us say this before, is that the whole dependence on fossil fuel, like mm-hmm. as fuel prices go up, thinking about the tools that you're using and, and the systems that you're designing currently, like how can you design and make those outside of the need for fuel as much well even thinking about like if you have a chicken tractor that you have to pull with the actual tractor right is that efficient you know or could you eliminate or even a even a four-wheeler could you eliminate the need for a four-wheeler and just make the chicken coop lighter so that you could do it yourself or make two chicken coops so that right. yeah exactly so you know you're same amount of chickens but you can move it on your own which drew has made it pretty specifically large enough that it's heavy enough to hold the chickens in, but the kids can actually move our chicken tractors. There is a fine line between <laughs> too he- heavy enough and not. Like we have a friend who's chicken coop. He made an ultra lightweight in the last giant windstorm. It flew across like the a pasture. Kite. Yeah, so, which could have just been a rant. That could happen. Yeah. Ours, I guess too. But but yeah, you got to consider these things. But yeah, and then how does this translate into other animals? Because okay, so talking about you know sheep for us, what could we can we scale back which is the sheep feed that we give them? We don't give them feed. We give them alfalfa, but that's not necessary. Right. So most, I would say, most four-legged creatures get some kind of grain feed on farms, don't they? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to think about that. I like to believe that everybody's <laughs> animals are just eating grass. Well, so this is actually interesting because we just learned this. And I don't know, maybe some of you already knew this. I didn't. Drew, I don't think you knew it when you told me the other day. But that a lot of grass-fed meat out there, even though it says grass-fed, it actually what they're doing is they're taking the corn they would have fed the cows otherwise on a corn diet, and they just sprout it, and then they can call it grass. Uh, in my opinion, <laughs> that's, that's cheating. <laughs> not good enough. So just this is like a crazy thing to even be thinking about. But as homesteaders, I think our goal is to get as far away from that kind of a system as possible, to get away from the cows needing corn or grain or whatever, to restoring the earth that they're on so that they have what they need right under their feet. 
And I mean, ideally, that's what we want for ourselves too, right? So it doesn't make sense to need an input for any of these animals. And you need to pay attention because some of the varieties of animals that you buy, it will be almost impossible, just like with the Cornish cross, to raise them without that grain, without that supplementation. And I think we've seen that. Um, we have the, the pigs that we have on property right now that are somebody else's are a uh, lard pig, right? A lard pig, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which just makes them much more... I don't know, land ready, I guess. They're they're better. They're at... back to more of a heritage breed. Mm -hmm. uh, from what I understand, and if you're a pig expert, you can correct us. But from what I understand, mm -hmm. a lard breed is closer to a heritage breed than a meat breed. Which means they're much more, like, tend to be more wild. And they're better at seeking what they need in the earth and on the ground. And, uh, and that's a pretty powerful thing to watch, to compare it to another animal that just doesn't have that vitality and the ability to find what it needs the strength to survive even if it gets you know worms or whatever and ideally that's what we're looking for and I think in our sheep we've done a better job with that we don't have worm bouts with our sheep like we used to when we first got them yeah and lots of things have shifted in terms of the kinds of animals that we keep on the farm there are some times where we get like a pretty little chicken because it's at tractor supply but generally when we buy our birds we try to be very practical about why are we buying that variety? I think that brings up a good point. Like here we are back at chickens again, but mm -hmm. like thinking about your breeds, like your chicken breeds, thinking again about like those more conventional breeds too, that are just going to live off your land and do create eggs easily versus like the fancy chickens is mm -hmm. like something that if we're cutting back, definitely going to have to consider that. Yeah. 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 I mean, even, yeah, for eggs, we have to feed our chickens too. So it's like, can we afford eggs anymore? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that like the reality is like, if we would take feed away from our chickens, what I've seen is we would go to like, maybe like out of, I think we have like 17, I don't know, mm -hmm. 17 to 20 chickens. We have somewhere around there. We would probably get like two eggs a week if we didn't give them any food and just let them free range. Mm. So that, well, and on top of that, yeah. if they free range, the challenge of finding the eggs and getting them to lay in a coop becomes far harder. It's yeah. always so romantic in these shows where they have one chicken coop and all the chickens scatter around and then come back and lay. The truth is a chicken finds a little hole under a bucket somewhere and they're going to be like, Ooh, this is nice. And nobody else knows about this. And right. so you're constantly on a giant Easter egg hunt. <laughs> and you know, we found some really old piles of eggs yeah. on our property. And full disclosure, we float tested them and then we ate some of them. <laughs> um, so I would say like prioritizing Let's let's bring it back to that. Like I yeah. think prioritizing what is happening on your homestead. Like what animals can you grow on your homestead well with the least amount of feed? Mm. I think is like the number one question. Efficiency. Because you have so many levels of feed. You have going to pick up the feed, you have paying for the feed, mm. you know, you have feeding the animal the feed. So if you can replace chickens like we've talked about, like we're probably going to up the amount of sheep we have and reduce or maintain the level of chickens we have we probably will order like one batch of broilers this year but i hadn't thought maybe we would do more this year but i think we're going to do less so when you put like the cost of a broiler the cost of time to raise a broiler and the cost of feed a broiler you can buy a fair amount of sheep or maybe one more cow out of that same amount mm. of money. So I think the one thing to keep in mind that's nice about chickens that is not as convenient with cows is slaughtering is, 
You know, we Fast. do it all in one day, but you could potentially kill one chicken and eat it for dinner. And then you have, when you want it again, you don't have to have freezer space, you know? So that's the other thing about chickens you have to consider is storing it in a freezer freezer that's reliant on energy. You know, those are other things you have to consider. And if you have, you know, just do a one chicken at a time, you have much more liberty in terms of storage capacity. And that's something we think about even with sheep. If we're going to butcher a sheep that that's, you know, one freezer full or how much can we process or can or whatever. It's much more manageable size. When you move up even into to pigs, if you do pigs or moving on into cows, you're dealing with a much larger animal. And at that stage, you need to start thinking, okay, do I, do I have the capacity to store this? Am I going to sell half of it? I'm going to share this with my neighbor. You know, so there's a lot of these things to consider as well that, you know, a hundred years ago, people didn't butcher 25 chickens in one day and then stick them in the freezer and eat them conveniently whenever they wanted one. Okay. So priority number two, what I hear you saying Mm -hmm. is food preservation. Yes. What are you going to do? Like, we know that I think energy prices are going to also go up. Mm-hmm. So how can you preserve food outside of reliance on as much energy, I guess? Mm-hmm. Like, I think I think the reality is, like, at a certain point, freezers are maybe not the best food preservation method. Oh, absolutely not. Mm-mm. So then what's your number two? Dehydrating. You can... <laughs> So lots of chicken jerky? Lots of jerky, yeah. Chicken jerky? The prob- that is yeah. not my favorite. Meat is a tricky, meat is tricky <laughs> because, yeah, but you can, re- you can reconstitute You know, I've meat. heard people say that the best way to preserve meat is how? You're going to say canning, but... No. No? Uh, I don't know. On the hoof. Oh, right. Well, that's what I kind of just said. Yeah, that's what I was thinking you were going to say that. So <laughs> chicken, and any animal, the best way to preserve it is alive. Right. And then you harvest it when you need it. Again, I think the reality is expectations of our meals, expectations of how our meals are made. And convenience. Convenience. All that has to be kind of rewritten and rethought about, I guess, is like, you know, people spent a lot more time crafting meals than they do now. I mean, ourselves included. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think it's something... We're all about some shortcuts, but I mean, at the same time, I think we need to get better about that because if we don't know how before, you know, things get sour, then... Before you really need to know how? Before you really need to know how, then we're going to be in trouble. We have done our, you know, done some work in that for sure, Drew's become kind of a butchery expert and we oh, not an expert. learned how to braise meats. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do have our head or our, our just everything moving in the right direction there, but it's now we've got to practice it more. We need to understand it more. We need to just start even using those techniques more, whether it's, you know, hanging our meat in a cooler. Yeah. And I think community again, like, uh-huh. you know, when it, we're going to larger animals, like a, I would say a sheep or a cow, like, mm-hmm. if we're not going to freeze them, we need a community that can participate in the consumption of that food. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it looks more like coming together as a community and breaking a cow into an into ace so that everybody can take it home and eat it for the week rather than... That's still probably a month's worth of food. Right yeah, <laughs> an, eighth, an eighth is still a lot. That's yeah. what I was just thinking. So 16th? I don't yeah. know. You know, but it's another way of thinking again. I think that people in olden days did that more than well if you think about a butcher in a town like a small community right they probably butcher one cow every you know six weeks or something 
Yeah. And for those six weeks, six six week period, people come and buy a part. You know what's available, butcher. You can have this. You can have that. You know this is what we've got, and yeah, you go home with that. And I think that is the model we need to start embracing a little bit more, or at least starting to wrap our heads around. Because I don't think that's even an option for most people at this moment. But I think I think there's a shift happening. Um, okay, so <laughs> priority number one we said is animal feed. And mm-hmm. rethinking that priority number two is food preservation. What would you say food priority number three is? I think for for us personally, or just I mean as a as a body, it's learning these cooking methods, learning how to use a different way to cook. Yeah, these organ meats. Yeah. Are you going going? Well, that for sure. Meats? Yeah, when organ meat, we shouldn't be wasting any parts of the animal. And that makes me actually that brings up a thought of like when I posted what was people's challenge on the homestead so far and you know as so far meaning what people have said is uh health was kind of one of the top ones and Mm -hmm. Lacey was saying earlier we were talking about organ meats and how that is crucial for health and people are missing that well we have again it's that palate that we've developed for sugars and starches that you know if we want to eat something that's what we want to have we don't any you know fats as well but you miss out on, you know, who, who, it, as soon as you say organ means goes blah, like I right. kind of do, I a little bit want it, but it a little bit I also absolutely don't. do not <laughs> want it at all. But you know, it's, these are the things that our bodies are developed to actually need and crave. And, and we, I mean, for until again, until probably even more like 50 years ago, that was a staple. People just all did that. It's like cod liver oil and like things yeah. that were traditional foods that, Ugh. We don't do anymore. Yeah. We it's, just quit. We're like, yeah, ho-hos are better. <laughs> yeah, they definitely taste better. Uh, okay, so organ meats, cooking, and then I guess like health is an important one. Like really, I know with the times they are right now, managing stress and figuring out how to manage stress and anxiety, Can I tell you that makes me think can. too, like it makes me think... It makes me think of that original thing that you said about the chickens. If they're not happy, does that impact us? You know, going back to that part of the conversation. And of course it does, right? Like that seems obvious to me. And it also seems obvious that through the course of history, when, when was it ever just everything was fine. You know, even when I was a kid, I remember there was like the stress of the Cold War and the Berlin Wall coming down and like, you know, all of the things that were still stressful. I mean, as a kid, so you just, you only partly remember it, but before that was Vietnam, before that was, you know, World War II, you know, there was always Korea, all of these things always going on, people dying, people suffering and feeling like you can't really do anything about it. Like, what can you do? And that is a stressful place to be. That makes me think, get busy dying or get busy living. That's that's the answer. Get living. (laughs) <laughs> you did it reverse. But either way, <laughs> my point is, is that this, these new stresses, everybody keeps saying, oh, these last two years. And yeah, I mean, they're special to us in terms of our suffering. Maybe we had a really light amount of suffering over the last 10 or 20 oh, years or sure. so. Yeah. However, it's not that abnormal for humans to live in the state of stress. And so for people to keep saying like, whoa, this is just so abnormal. It's not really that abnormal. And I'm not all about the new normal either. I'm about like, <laughs> let's figure out what's going on that we're in such a state where we can't as, and this is for me too, because I've felt stress and anxiety and depression through all of this. And so how do I manage that? What's missing from my life 
to that's making me feel like those things are are so overwhelming I can't even carry that burden because humans have been carrying those burdens from the dawn of time. And not that it's good, it's never good, but it's not something that's really that new. And I think in a modern society, people who aren't even really suffering, they're just suffering the stress of thinking about it are suffering dire consequences, health issues, crises, sometimes even death. And, and, and that, you know, tearing families apart, all kinds of things that how, what's so wrong with what's going on that we can't manage these things um, on an emotional level to some degree. That's interesting. That's a, it's kind of like, you know, we've gotten to the generation where it's like, tell me all your feelings, you know, don't want anybody to like feel hurt and Mm -hmm. express yourself and everything. But it's almost like you're saying, go back to the generation where everybody just bottled it up. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> that generation. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. I, I mean, yes, maybe a little. No, I seriously think that there's just an element. I don't think anybody should bottle up. That's clearly not healthy and didn't do anybody any good either. But there is like a, a healthy balance of being able to communicate how you're feeling, your frustrations. And then also not letting them dominate like, your like story. process and move on. Yes. That's the next That's the next phase. That's the next phase. Understand it and then get back. Be aware and, and, you know. I think that's like the other day. Remember I told you that. I was like, I, I have been feeling really stressed. But yeah. like I was aware of it and I've started to make changes to get past it. And I think I that's think important. I think I will say, I think I kind of had a bit of a revelation about... <laughs> my, my feeling of importance. Like Mm. I thought, I think what I realized is that I'm just not as important as I thought I was. And that's not like a, it's not, it's actually a relief. You know, at first it felt like, Oh crap, I'm just not worth anything, but it's not, that's not really what I'm saying at all. Just that I am not the person who's going to solve all the world problems. And I think I was raised in a generation where they kind of taught us that we were the generation that was going to fix everything. And, and we each had the capacity to heal the world and save the world. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure for a human person. (laughs) And I think I had to relieve myself of that somewhere in 2021. And it's taken me a little, it's, it was a hard pill to swallow because I thought, you know, I have a voice, I need to use it, blah, blah, blah. And not that that isn't true, but it also, if I constantly am thinking, well, what can I say? What can I do to fix this? It's just exhausting and emotionally draining. And it makes me not present with my children because I'm like too worried about bigger world problems all the time, which are not mine to solve. So I think it's just, I'm important on a very local scale. And that's that's the best way to be. That's how we need to refocus. You're important to our family for sure. Oh, thanks. (laughs) We've gone on a little bit longer than normal. (laughs) We have digressed. Okay, so sum it up. Give us our No, you've already recapped. Uh, recapped. Okay, so the last one I would say was that we already did was health. So focus on your health, know your health, know resources for your health. Like Mm. aside from mental wellness also physical wellness and that's a whole different podcast that we will we have recorded and you can go and find on plant medicine and how to use that and maybe we'll make a new one or reach out if you feel like oh i would really like Lacey to tell me what to do i'm really happy to do that Lacey loves telling people what to do i do (laughs) okay so if you're thinking of these things in this episode and you're like man i have no idea how to get started or where to get started That's where the homestead audit comes in. 
we meet with you, Lacey and I both, and talk about your priorities on the homestead, where you're at, help you get a game plan. And we can do it on Zoom or we can come out to your property if you're local. And then if that's something you're interested in, go Hey, to, if you want to fly us across the country, we yeah. might do that too. Yeah, we will fly across the country. <laughs> you can go to the schoolhouselife.com and just click on the button for the homestead audit. And we'd love to talk with you more about that and figure out what meets your needs and get you started on it path to more self-sufficiency resiliency resiliency yeah yeah it might be like a fire hose but we love doing it yeah so <laughs> share this episode with friends reach out to us let us know what questions you got and if you got corrections for us we'd love to hear those too all right <laughs> have, have a great one.